0: Chad and Sarah were engaged in New Year's Day, and uh, we will be uh, working on the dates and things as uh, once we get to Heartland next week and see when Andrew's going to have a break and all of those things, see if we can't uh, set a date, and we will let you know as soon as they know. Amen? And so take your Bibles, if you would, Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, Uh, I was looking through some of the old sermons that I've preached. I've uh, been to this passage a couple of times over the years, Uh, in January, early in the year. uh, This is a passage that needs to be preached uh, almost every day of the year. Hebrews chapter 12, the first few verses, and we're going to... Uh, Read through those, starting in verse 1. It says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which just so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, Now, most of us are familiar with this passage. If you're uh, a student of the Bible at all, if you've read the Bible, you've been over these verses uh, more than once. If you attended here, we uh, many times in in preaching on other passages will refer to this passage here. It is just like the entire Christian life in a nutshell, just a summary of how we live. It likens the Christian life... To running a race, and uh, i don 't know uh, about you uh, some some people are sprinters, some people are distant runners, uh, and some people are spectators. Amen, but the writer of Hebrews is likening this to running a long distance race. I remember the first time I was in high school they put us on a real uh, uh, track uh, and said, now you're going to run around this track two or three times. And, and uh, I thought, oh, okay, that's not going to be a problem. I got the way, I, around the first line of that track. I was in front of everybody uh, just feeling great. About third of the way around the second time, something happened. You know what it's called? Running out of steam. I don't know if I was last or not, but I was pretty close. Uh, and, of course, the uh, the gym teacher there knew exactly what was going on, and I got used as an example uh, of what happens when you don't run with patience. What happens when you put everything in the first little part and you're not planning for the future. Now, as we read through this passage um this is one of those parts of the bible that people like to pull out all by itself and talk about running the race but that's not where this passage starts does it what's that first word there in in chapter 12 verse 1 what is that first word it's one of those big old english words that we don't use much anymore wherefore now wherefore means because of, in the light of all of these things, because you already know these things, now I'm going to add to your knowledge something that will only make sense because you already have an understanding of everything that we just gone over. Now, what's in Hebrews chapter 11? It's God's hall of faith, amen? You know, God doesn't have a hall of fame. There is no such thing as great Christians. There's great faith. because see, it's God that does the work. Amen. And different people have different abilities yet every good thing that any human being has done in that is recorded in the Bible was done because of faith in God. Amen? Uh, I believe uh, it was 1888 before man built a boat as big as Noah's Ark. Now stop and think about that. Noah's Ark was somewhere around 26, 27 hundred years before the birth of Jesus Christ. So, I mean, we're, we're talking about early in history as far as we understand it according to the scriptures. And it wasn't until eighteen, almost 1,900 years after Jesus was born that man finally built a boat as big as the ark. And every barge, every cargo ship that's on the waters today is built basically because of the engineering in the ark. I'd say that's a pretty great feat, wouldn't you? And we don't even know what a gopher tree looked like. I mean, we have no idea what kind of wood that was. Uh, one preacher came up with this idea. I'm not quite too sure what it is, but it was Noah talking to his three sons. Go for wood. Go for wood. And uh, I'm not quite sure the etymology of that works out, but uh, uh, the, the simple truth of the matter is there are some pretty great things that happen in the Scripture. I mean, there are some remarkable things. Even men who entire lives did not operate the way God wanted them to. Think of Samson is mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. Jephthah is mentioned. Many of these men. And of course, the first of the list is Abel. You know, all Abel did that we know about was offer the right sacrifice. That's all Abel did. And yet, God, in his understanding of faith, and I'll tell you what, I'll take his understanding over mine any day. How about you? Abel was chronologically first, yes. But God recognized that Abel by faith offered that sacrifice and even under pressure of his brother as they talked together refused to step down until his brother decided the only alternative was to silence Abel. But you know what the Bible says? He being dead it speaketh. That's faith. You see, faith is not conditioned by human circumstance, human ability. Faith is not held in check by anything except unbelief. And so we have this entire chapter On faith, and that in itself is a culmination of the ten chapters that are before it. And so, what as we get to the end of the book of Hebrews, the author is building and and summing up everything there is about the Christian life, and he says, "Wherefore, seeing." we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, I'd actually thought about just trying to preach the whole sermon this morning on the great cloud of witnesses. And maybe sometime we'll do that. But have you ever wondered what people are doing in heaven while we're here on earth? Well, right there's the answer, is it not? It says, we're compassed about with a great cloud of witnesses. So great a cloud of witnesses. Why is that cloud so great? Well, because all these guys that just were listed in Hebrews chapter 11 are in the audience. You know, one of the things I want to stress for us today when... When we get together and we sing hymns in our services you need to understand something we're we're not singing those hymns for our benefit. But let me ask you how many times have you come in just a little under or maybe under great burdens of this life and hear those songs sung and it does something inside. Amen? Sing those words. That's one of the reasons why I'm just not a fan of the new 7-Eleven music. And you say, well, what is that? That's where you say seven words 11 times and uh, call it uh, praise music. I'll tell you what. There's something I am resolved no longer to linger, charmed by the world's delights. You know, I don't think some of these new songwriters can even spell those words, let alone put them in order so that they say something. We're reduced to one-syllable words, and I mean, uh, there's so much beauty. That last song we sang, all for Jesus. I mean, that ought to do something for you. But you need to understand that is not the reason why we sing. We sing because there is someone in the audience that we want to hear our singing. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. This church is his body. He wants to be glorified in it. And when we just stand there and go, Oh, for Jesus, oh, for Jesus, you know, those are pretty nice words. He's not pleased. He doesn't accept that as worship. He knows what's going on in our hearts. It says that cloud of witnesses. Has compassed us about. Now, everybody likes to think about the, the stadium and, and sitting in the grandstands and watching the players on the field. But it says a cloud of witnesses. what? They're watching us wherever we go. They can see us when we think no one else can. They can hear us when no one else we think is paying attention. It says we're compassed about there everywhere we are. And because we're compassed about with these witnesses. I want you to think about this for a minute. You know, one of the greatest problems that we have today is the simple fact that we are just not paying attention. Isn't it true? I've often asked people the question, and, and, you know, would things change if Jesus slept on the couch in your living room uh, for a week? If Jesus just said, I'm, "I'm moving in for a week. I just want to stay in the living room," would things change around your house? Uh, yeah. Should they? Uh, no. Because he's living in us. Amen. We, if we could make ourselves cognizant. That means thought process involved. Amen? It's not just a simple sign people are watching us. It's thinking about the fact that men like Noah, who didn't know what rain was, built an ark because it was coming. What kind of faith did it take to do that? What kind of faith did it take for Abel to stand up against his brother and offer the sacrifice that God asked for instead of the one that would be much more expedient? How about King David? As he wrote so many of those beautiful psalms, that were about the suffering of Jesus Christ. He had no clue as to the fulfillment of those things. And yet you and I, I hope you don't mind, I'm preaching to myself this morning. And we lose track that in our hands, we hold the sum total of the revelation of God. None of the apostles held in their hand a compact book that they could read like you and I have today. And we struggle and fuss. I hope you don't ever get mad at me about this. If you do, you have to understand. You've got a lot bigger problems than you think you do. Enough said? I think of those Christians that down through the ages are reading now the history, uh, a history of our English Bible. And how that the cardinal who was in charge of the then Catholic Church in England under Henry VIII was superintending the burning of the Scriptures, thinking he was serving God. Does that make sense to anyone here today? And that people were put to death and thrown in prison. They took a group of college students at Oxford University and put them in a salt fish cellar. I believe it was seven or eight months before they were finally released, almost every one of them succumbing to the salt poisoning of the fish and dying. And their only crime was a desire to hold this book in their hands and read it in their own language. You know something? We need to understand. They're watching and wondering why it's so hard for us to read the book that they died for. Amen. I think of those who were put to death. It was Zwingli, the reformer, quote unquote, hero of the faith, that coined the term the third baptism. You see, anyone who would reject the baptism of babes was a criminal in Zwingli's mind, because he understood one thing, that the authority and power of the church to control and dominate the souls of people was attached to the baptism of their babies. He understood that. That's why he brought it out from the Catholic church into his Reformed church. And people who repudiated that baptism... He said, You're baptized twice. Well, it shows how foolish he is. You can't be baptized once till you're saved first. Amen. You can't be baptized once until a Bible believing pastor in a church that has biblical authority immerses you in the name of the Father and the Son of and the Holy Ghost upon your testimony of faith in Jesus Christ. Those are the biblical requirements for baptism. And those that submitted to that, when Zwingli found out, he gave the third baptism. That was weights, preferably tied around your neck or other bodily parts and thrown in the river. He says, you you like water so much, we'll drown you. And he joyed over the death of people whose only crime was being baptized in Jesus' name. You see, our faith is on display today, my friends. Wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Now what does it say that we're supposed to do? Let us. Let us is the next word. Because this is there, he said, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. He said, because these people are watching, because God in heaven is watching us, because of the faith that we profess in the Son of God, it said, there's some things that we ought to do. Now, this is the first Sunday of the year. And you know what? They're making uh, a big deal as they do every first part of the year. What's going to happen to your new year promises? In fact, I heard a little blip. It says, only 17% of the people are 100% sure they're going to carry through the vows that they made at the beginning of the year. I thought that was an interesting choice of words because a vow by definition is a promise a solemn promise made to God that's the definition of a vow that's what a wedding vow is you don't just promise to the person you're marrying you're promising to God till death do us part and it said only 17% had any surety that they were going to follow through, and I'll guarantee most of that 17% ain't going to do it. So how, how, do we, how do we change things? I mean, let's just stop and ask a question. How many of you got some things in your life that you want to change in this coming year? Would you just slip up a hand? Just give a testimony about that. My hand's up. There's some things that I want to change. There's some things that I want to do. I know Sarah wants to change her last name. Uh, <laughs> Probably get that done, and we're happy. But listen, we've got some things we want to change. I want to challenge you that you're not going to change things by trying to change things. That's the problem. You know, it was like a fellow came in, and he was saying... Pastor, i got a problem with smoking. I just hate it. I can't stand smoking cigarettes. It's destroying my life. i got to quit smoking. I hate this. I can't. I said, here's your problem. He said, what is it? I said, the last five minutes, you've just used the word cigarette 25 times. He said, you're concentrating on the cigarettes. That's why you're going to go back to them. I said, we got to put our face somewhere else or we're going to go back and do the same things Psychologists who are supposed to know these things tell us the more you decide in your mind you're not going to be something, that's the more you become just like it. You see, you're not going to change by concentrating on change. You're not going to change by turning over a new leaf. You're not going to change by hiring a personal trainer who's going to make you do things, here's how you're going to change. By doing the things that you already know is right. By just taking what you already have. You know, I've often told people this. uh, They say, Pastor, do you know of a, uh, a place where I can go and get straightened out and all of this, and i 'm not against rehab centers and and all of those kinds of things, sometimes they 're necessary, but here 's the problem: is you go to a nice place where everybody 's paid to be nice to you, and they only have to do it a few hours a day so they can normally get it done because they 're going home, and then a new crew of people come in to be nice to you, and they take care of you. And you cannot do the things that you did that got you put in that place. It's just not possible. But then you get out. And you go right back home where all the bad stuff happened. And all the old friends are there. And you go right back into the same old behavior. You know what? If you're going to have victory over something in your life, you're going to have to learn to get it where you're at right now. Or it's never going to last. Amen? And here's where it starts. It says, let us lay aside every weight. Now, you'll have to forgive me. Well, actually you won't. But since the second baseball strike, I believe that was 1986 or something like that, I, I really could care less about baseball. And so I'm going to give you a baseball illustration, but it comes from the 30s, all right? When people used to play baseball. How many of you ever heard of a guy named Ty Cobb? One of the greatest players in the game. He was also the meanest man alive. Until just a few years before he died, somebody came up on his doorstep, told him about Jesus. They said, That old mean man, tears running down his face, said, I wish somebody had told me this about him 40 years ago. But he would practice by putting steel plates in his shoes. And he would always get a bat in practice that weighed much, much more than the one he used during the game. Now, your podiatrist would tell you, do not put steel plates in your shoes. It will change your anatomy forever. Uh, But that's how he ran, and that's how he practiced. You know why? He said, just before the game, I'd take him out. He said, when the game started, he said, I got my bat that I normally used. He said, it was like a feather in my hand. He said, there was a spring in my step. He said, I just felt like I was weightless on the field. Why? Because I got rid of the weights. Now, one thing we got to understand. Exercise has no place in the Christian life. We don't go to the gym and practice being Christians so that we can be better Christians in the world. Do you get that? Uh, I'm not against exercise. Well, most of the time. Uh, Especially when other people do it, I'm not against exercise. But sometimes we think that we can exercise in the Christian faith. That we can go and we can practice being a Christian. My dad used to say, he said, the gym is for all them wimps that don't have enough real work to do at home. I like what my dad said. He always made sure there was plenty of work to do at home, amen? Remember one year, their little rototiller was a little gas-powered machine that tilled the earth. It broke. Dad, what are we going to do? Here, hands me a shovel. He said, I got a heart condition. I can't do this, but you can. I learned how to use a shovel. Let me tell you. Exercise. The gym is not for the Christian. Because we're supposed to be living in the real world. We're always in the game. And one of the greatest problems we face as Christians today is we want to take a break. I mean, we believe this union stuff. You just get more done when you have breaks. ever figure that out? You get more done by not working. Now, I understand that you can wear yourself out to the point where you're not getting anything done. But that's taken care of in the next part. You see, we would fortify ourselves and we would rest ourselves to the point that there's no time left to get anything done. Amen? And that's what this passage is talking about. It says, let us lay aside the weights... Uh, the best thing I can tell you, as I heard many years ago, I wish I could remember who said it first, but uh, it's anything that slows you down serving Christ. Okay, sin is something different. Sin is disobeying God's word. This is not sin. It's something that slows you down serving Christ. What could it be? You know, if you need them, I have a pair of nippers I'll lend you. Just go home and get that big old black snake that comes into your house pumping sewage and they'll come get the cable box after a while. Uh, Maybe that's a weight. Maybe that's something that keeps you down. You know, maybe it's a computer. Just a few clicks of the keyboard. And you can be seeing and hearing things that no Christian has a right to see and hear. Amen? Now, you say, well, that overlaps. Well, weights usually lead to sins. But what, what is slowing you down? What? Maybe this would be a good way to put it. If Jesus called you home today, what would you miss? What would would you be thinking about? Well, maybe that's a weight. Oh, I said, yes, pastor, my husband, I got it. I'm going to lay us No, 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 wait a minute. There's other scriptures there. Remember the promise till death do us part? That, that, That was a promise made to God. That's not the weight that it's talking about here. Are we still together? Somebody said, Pastor, you're talking about... No, I'm not talking about anybody, all right? But I have had people through the office over the years that said, here's my weight. No, 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 that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about things that you choose to have in your life. You know, that's why some people can drive a big fancy car And other people can't. Because it would be a weight. It would be something that would hinder them. I mean, I saw a bumper sticker one time and it says, don't mess with my wife and don't mess with my truck, not necessarily in that order. And I'm sitting here going, there's something wrong with this guy. I mean, there's a part of me just wanted to grab a key and do something to that truck. But I didn't, amen. I'd be breaking other Bible verses. You know what I'm talking about here. But there are some people that if something happened to their car, they'd lose their Christianity. Hey, if that's your problem, get rid of it. Don't allow things to take your attention from Christ. That doesn't mean you have to be a pauper and have nothing. But it could help. It's not whether or not you have things. It's whether or not things have you. It's what is it. And we have to realize that different things, and this is... Where this whole idea of offenses comes in the scriptures. You know, something that I may allow in my life and doesn't affect me at all could really be a hindrance to someone else. Well, let's lay it aside. It's a weight, it's gonna slow me down, it's gonna slow someone else down. There are different things I could go through a whole list, but you know what would happen? Somebody be sitting out there, and I'm going down through this whole list of things. Pastor didn't name mine, but he named yours. Hey, that's where we got to get past, amen? It's what is going to slow me down in running this race. And I've heard many, many sermons on besetting sins and how the people have one certain sin or something that just besets them and comes back over and over again. How many of you have ever been to Georgia? The state of Georgia. Now, I'll tell you what, if you've ever been to Georgia, you've tracked mud on the carpet. They have that red, sandy clay mud in Georgia And I don't care where you are. I don't care if it's a gravel parking lot or if it's all paved over. If you go anywhere in that state, you're going to get that stuff. And it's going to get on you. It's going to get on your car. It's going to get on your feet. And you're going to track it in the house. I mean, it's just the way things are. If you're in Florida, guess what? It's sand. I mean, you're going to be picking sand out of your suitcase six months later. I mean, it's there. How many of you have ever driven an old muddy road in Pennsylvania? or upstate New York I mean it just gets all over you and everything now doesn't it that's what sin does to us as we run with patience the race you're going to step in it my friend it's going to get on you now what do you do when you get dirty I would hope that you would choose to take a bath. Amen? And you see, God provides the water. The washing of the water of the Word. The sin which just so easily beset you. I mean, just as you're walking through, how many times you just walk down Steinway Street and feel like you need to take a bath when you get home. Uh, Because of the things you see and the things you hear. Turn on the radio. And I mean, they talk about things on the radio today that dirty, wicked, vile sinners wouldn't talk about in closets when I was a kid. And I'm not old. You just get dirt all over you. Don't worry about what it is. Get it off. Amen? Stop trying to dissect and say, well, this is my besetting sin. This is the one I really got problems with. I'll deal with this and leave the rest there. That's what it's talking It's laying aside the weights. Now, almost every commentator I read said, yes, the runners always took their clothes off before they ran. And I'm sitting here going, that's a lovely picture for the Christian now, isn't it? You know, that's not what God wants us to do. It's never a wait to be obedient to the word of God. And by the way, modesty is something we ought to obey. Amen? We're not going to learn how to serve God by looking at things that are wrong. It's talking about things that hinder our service for God. It's talking about the sins that splatter up on us as we run with patience the race that is set before us. Uh, We don't have time this morning to even start on it, but the ashes of the heifer sprinkling for the unclean was the Old Testament picture of what is being so spoken about here when it says lay aside the weights and the sin which just so easily beset us. It was that cleansing for things that happened. When someone died, you had to be sprinkled with the water of separation twice during the week and then take a complete bath before you could re-enter society. I'll tell you, if we thought about those things... There are things that happen to us, thoughts that are allowed to lodge in our minds, things that we just hold on to. It says we need to lay them aside. And it says, and run with patience. Tell you what, it's hard to pace yourself. I tried cross-country running when I was in high school. The longest I, I did was about eight miles. I had a nice little route through Carroll County up and down hills and all around through the little things, uh, little areas there. And even in my mind's eye, sometimes if I, uh, if I ever really get desperate, get the treadmill out and try to exercise a little bit, I try to picture that run that I did when I was uh, in high school uh, and think of all the hills and all of that. But there would get a time in that eight miles where I just really stopped running. It was just breathe. Next foot. Breathe. I wasn't doing anything except trying to take the next step and stay alive. I mean, that's what it felt like to me. Anybody else ever run like that? Am I the only guy? And you just fall into a pattern. You know what? It feels like you could do that forever. That's why when you get to the end of the race, you're supposed to sprint the last 100 yards so that you realize, hey, I can't do this anymore. i got to stop. And they tell us that it really helps with all the exercise and things like that. But when we were called to start Open Door Bible Baptist Church, almost every church we were in, some preacher had a horror story of someone who came to New York City and tried to start a church and failed. I mean, it was, in fact, one pastor sat me down and said, I've supported So many, I can't remember what the number he gave me. It was close to 20 different men over 10-year period starting church. He said, you know how many of them are there? I said, no, I don't. He said, none of them. He said, I've lost all that missions and you're coming and you're asking me to give you more money to do the same thing everybody failed at. How do you know you're going to be there? I said, I don't. He said, okay, we'll support you. You see, it's not in what you know, in what you think, in what you're able to do. It's running with patience the race. Now, some people, this morning, especially with all the ice and everything, it was a struggle to get to church. You know what? One more step in the race. I've had people, but pastor, I, I work late nights and, you know, I might just fall asleep in church. I've been there, done that. My attitude was, I'd rather be asleep in church where I'm supposed to be than resting comfortably at home when I'm, not suppo- when I'm supposed to be at church. Somebody said, pastor, don't get mad at me, I'll fall asleep in church. I won't. Listen, you are talking to the King. Of sleeping in church. In fact it took me years to get over that. Oh I haven't worked all night. I can stay awake this time. It was almost a bad habit. But you ought to try going to church. After getting off work at 7.30 in the morning. It will add a challenge to your life. But if you don't have to. Don't do it. Amen. But you have to understand that running that race with patience is not accomplishing some great thing. It was like Abel. All he did was do what was right. It's going through the day. Try getting your Bible reading done today. Go home this afternoon and just read it. And then you got a great start on tomorrow. Amen? It's running with patience. You can't control what happens tomorrow or 20 years from now, but you can control what you do right now. You see, it's the race that is set before us. See, there are certain things that are just going to tempt us because we're human beings. You know, I often joke about you can dig your grave with your fork. You know why? Because food is something that tempts all of us to one degree or another. Now, it's different kinds of food. Some people it's the bakery, some people it's the candy store, some people it's the meat market. Uh, I mean, it's just different things. And if it's the veggie stand, more power to you. But you can overdo that too, you know. But you've got to run the race that is set before you, realizing that you're a unique individual and there will be things that will bother you that seemingly don't bother anybody else in the world. Now here's what the devil likes to do. There hath no temptation taken you, what? But such that is common to man. The devil wants to isolate you and make you think you're the only one that's dealing with this. No greater lie could ever be told. We're all human. But we have to realize that that race is set before us It's got our name on it. No one else can take your place. No one else can fill your shoes. No one else can run that race that is set before you. And here's how you do it. Just today. That's running the race with patience. It's not some complicated thing. It's not some wonderful thing. You know, you don't have to feel good. You know, I met some people, oh, I'm just so excited about being in church. It's just the greatest privilege of my life. You know what? I know that that person isn't going to be there next Sunday. I just know they're not going to be there next Sunday. And seldom have I been wrong. The ones I was wrong on, it was two Sundays. Because if your relationship to God is based on how you feel, guess what? You don't have much of a relationship with God. You see the example, and we're going to have to hurry this morning, or I'll have you here till tonight. It says, verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. The writer of Hebrews says, listen, I want you to be mindful of that great cloud of witnesses that is about you. I want you to Think about all of those who have gone on before and have suffered and have served God faithfully without one tenth of the things and the power and the ability that we possess today. He said, I want you to learn to lay aside the weights and the sins which just so easily beset us. There's going to be things, and that's a process that you have to do every day. Paul said, What? I die how often? Daily. He says you got to run with patience. You got to realize that great things aren't accomplished. In one day. Or even in one lifetime. But. I'm not looking in the grandstands. I'm looking to Jesus. You know, it's amazing. This is one of those passages of which it is much easier to understand the complete sense of the word in the English language than if you knew the Greek behind it. Our translators did a masterful job of this. The author and finisher of our faith. Some of you remember years ago, we watched a movie on the life of William Tyndale. And he was the man responsible for that wording in your Bible today. And it had him all the way through the movie going, the beginning and the end of our faith. And finally, the author and finisher. And we don't know if he went through that struggle or not. But the simple truth is, it was an incredible... Usage of words. You see, Jesus is the author of our faith. He wrote it. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But Jesus not only authored our faith, he not only wrote those things, his name is the living word. He finished that faith. He secured that faith in the fact that he was perfectly obedient to it and that he's Hebrews chapter 6, he's already passed within the veil. He's on the other side waiting for us. He, You want to be connected to the Lord Jesus Christ. All you need is faith. He's holding the other end of it. The writer of Revelation quoting Jesus as he was speaking said, I am the Alpha and Omega. The beginning and the end. You see, we look to Jesus and no one else. Because if you look to other human beings, you know what? You can find some human beings that aren't having as difficult a time as you are. You could find someone and use them as an excuse to give in. How many of you have ever gotten to a point where you said, man, I just need a break? I want you to pray with me. I'm thinking about a sermon on that subject. And the first point's going to be the unnamed prophet who came to Jeroboam. the old prophet found him sitting under a tree. You know what? You, you can't take a break in serving Christ. In fact, you don't need a break. In fact, the rest of the believer, Hebrews 3 and 4, comes from being obedient to Christ. Christ. How many of you have ever had a long-term project that you're just pressing on and just wrestling with and couldn't get it done and finally you get to a point and you just push through and it's done? And you just feel like, what do I do now? Wow! It's done! I can't believe it! You know what? That's better than a night's sleep. Isn't it? Could we understand that just getting through tomorrow, running the race, looking unto Jesus, he's the author and finisher of our faith, there is nothing that you will face that he has not already faced double. Amen? Verse 4 says, Ye have not yet resisted unto blood. Now, there were people when the book of Hebrews was penned that had done that, but he was writing to people that were still alive. And he's saying, listen, you're you're still alive. you got to stay in the race. Uh, It's just that next day, some people, how could you survive? I think of John Bunyan, 12 years in prison for not taking a license by the government to be a preacher. Think about that. You know what his race was? Not losing his mind and his soul while he was in prison. And his prison efforts are some of the greatest literature that we have today. A Pilgrim's Progress. If you haven't read that book, you need to read that book. I'm reading another book he written has written. It's called A Few Sighs from Hell. It's a commentary on Luke chapter 16, the rich man of Lazarus. Whew. Amazing reading. Listen. It's not doing some great thing. It's like Naaman. Washed seven times in the little Jordan muddy river. Hmm? It's just, you want great strength? Do tomorrow what God wants you to do. You know what? He wants you to show up at work on time and be a good worker. Unless you're a bartender, he wants you to get another job. Amen? He wants you to serve him with what you are doing. You've got to remember that each one of us has a part in this body called the local church and we need to be faithful and to serve him he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God guess where I'm going to end up someday you see but but you got to get rest well wait a minute how are you supposed to run the race Uh, with patience God designed rest. We have to sleep as human, bo- as human beings. You can go longer without food and water than you can without sleep. This, this body is not designed to be a machine. And those people that make their bodies machines find out one thing. Flesh wears down a whole lot quicker than steel. Hmm. There are so many things that are important. You know, it's important to stop during the day and take care of your children. Amen? It's important to stop. And one of the things I'm praying about, uh, I want to be a little better at just making contact with people. Little notes and things sometimes are a whole lot better than great big long talks. But we've got to work on that. You get so busy doing things that you don't take time for people and you're not running the race. People is our race. Amen? Amen? Let's ask God. To help us do what we already got. And 2014 will be a completely different year. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you. Lord, we just ask that your word would do its work in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, that we would consider you that... Lord, so much of this passage we just skipped over today. Lord, I just ask that you would minister your word to us and let us run that race with patience. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Let's stay.